and welcome to Delving into Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Steve! This is episode three. As always, we'll start off with how you can get in touch with us. So firstly, we have a Tumblr page at delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. Secondly, we're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash delvingtodraft. Thirdly, you can email us at delvingtodraft at gmail.com. And finally, I am personally on Twitter as at R-A-V-A-K underscore, that's Ravak underscore. Right, um, let's just jump into the news. So it's all Grand Prix news uh, today. So last weekend we had Grand Prix Lyon, which was in France, in case you don't know where Lyon is, and it was a modern format. And Jeremy Dezani won with a jump deck. Nice. The second Grand Prix was Grand Prix Auckland, which is in New Zealand. The format was standard, and the winner was Walker McMurdo, which is a very Scottish name. But apparently <laughs> he's actually American, just living in New Zealand. <laughs> now that's the two Grand Prix from last weekend. This weekend coming up, there's Grand Prix Chicago, which is in Illinois, in the United States of America, in case you're not aware. Uh, that's November the 10th and the 11th, and the format is modern. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Jun doing well again, because Jun seems to be the in-deck in modern. Yeah. Did you watch any of Grand Prix Lyon? I did not watch any of Grand Prix Lyon. I unfortunately can't say I did, but uh, at least now it's at a more reasonable time for us Europeans. We don't have to stay up until like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning to watch the finals. Yeah, yeah. Um, going into our first regular feature, except for this is a brand new regular feature, so maybe it's not so regular. It's called Pop Quiz! Exclamation mark. Where we come up with a question to ask the other person, and yeah, it's on the spot. So, uh, uh, Steve doesn't know the question, but ask him. The question relates to two Return to Ravica cards. So I'm sure you're aware of Azorius Charm. Yes. Even if you can't remember exactly what it does off the top of your head. And I'm I sure... can, if you, if you wish me to tell you. Okay. Is this a quiz? Is this a uh, quiz? Let's call this a mini pop quiz. So tell <laughs> me the three abilities. Right. So it's got, uh, lifelink. Creatures you control get lifelink. Yep. And there. you can draw a card. Yep. And you can return a creature to the top of your opponent's deck. An attacking or blocking creature specifically. Oh, so is it attacking or blocking? Okay. Yeah, you need to be in combat. The other card, which is relevant for this pop quiz, is Rootborn Defences. Do you know what that does? That creatures are indestructible and populate? All the way around, but yeah. Okay. So my, so my, so my question is... Okay, so you got Azorus Charm, which gives all your creatures lifelink. And you've got Rootborn Defences, which will give all your creatures indestructible. Now, yep. let's ignore what the two words are. Let's just say they both did the same thing for whatever reason. What's the difference between the two effects? What's the difference between the effect of Azorius Charm giving creature stuff and Rootborn Defences giving creature stuff? Do you know? Hold on. Can I just look at the exact wording on Rootborn Defences? Yeah, looking at the exact word, the exact wording is populate creatures you control are indestructible this turn. And on Azorius Charm, the specific thing I'm talking about is creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn. So do you, do you know the difference between them? The difference. Aside, aside from the fact one's lifelink, one's indestructible, but... Uh, I actually can't see what you're getting at, Craig. So, you mean? Hmm. Oh no, you're going to you're going to break it to me, buddy. Okay, so Urban Offense says creatures you control are indestructible this turn. Yeah, but it's subtly different from creatures you control gain lifelink until end of. Oh, I've got it! I've got it! Yeah, creatures okay. you control gain lifelink, and. Creatures you control are indestructible. Yeah. So creatures that come into play after Rootborn Defences are indestructible, but creatures that come into play after Selesnia Charm do Azor's not have Link Link. Is that right? Azor's Charm. Yeah. That, 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 that's 
most of it, to be honest. Right. I mean, there's a corner case, but yeah, that's right. The, the important thing is, Rootburn Offenses basically puts up this effect, which says, your creatures are indestructible. Yeah. Whereas, Azora's Charm puts on each of the creatures currently on your side of the table, they give them lifelink. But if you play a creature after Azora's Charm, it doesn't get lifelink. Yep. Now, the other corner case is, if I mention the card, Traitor's Instinct. Okay. So I Traitor's Instinct, a creature, which is both affected by Rootborn Defenses and Azora's Charm. Yeah, I think I see where this is going, but okay. What happens to this creature? Like, it, 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 it still has lifelink and undestructible until end of turn, surely. No, I think it still has lifelink, but not indestructible. That's correct, because the indestructible is creatures you control. It, yeah. And, and again, Rootborn Defenses isn't giving this ability, to, it's giving this ability to the creatures, but it's not on the creatures. So, yeah, that, that, those are my, this is my pop quiz. That okay, that's cool. That's um, cool. It was just, uh, yeah, this was a topic which was raised somewhere else, and I wanted, there, there's a reason I'm bringing it to the fore, because I'm going to be judging this weekend. Oh, I've been, awesome. I've been having to think about weird things like this, which no, nobody really cares. Like, this is never going to come up until somebody goes, haha, I trade a sanction to your guy who's going to be affected by rootborn defenses. He's now indestructible. No. Yeah, yeah. He's not actually. You're just hoping that's going to come up now, aren't you? You're probably really not. For it. Probably not, because I'm going to have to explain <laughs> to someone. Someone's going to go, no, 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 my guy's indestructible. It's like, no, no, his guys are indestructible, but that's no longer his guy. It's your guy now. See, do you know what you need to do, Craig? You just need to carry a little delving into draft cards and just hand them one say, oh, delving into draft, you should listen to the podcast and you would know these things. Yeah, if you, li- if you listen to episode three, then you know <laughs> this. But yeah, I, 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 it was a little pop quiz and... Um, yeah, su- subtly different. You need to be careful wording on cards. Um, they don't always do what you think they do. I've certainly played cards and they've had wildly different effects. I've played instances of sorceries and sorceries is instance, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty common mistake, but yeah, <laughs> that was my pop quiz. Cool. Okay, let's move on to our group topic. So last week we started, uh, a sort of, I guess, a five part series, which is talking about how to draft the different guilds in Return to Ravnica. So last week we were talking about how you draft Selesnya, the cards you need, the cards you want, how Populate works, and how to deal with all your different other guild matchups, basically. Uh, this week we obviously can't do Selesnya, saying we've done it, so we're going to talk about Rakdos. Yay, Rakdos! So, um, in case you're not aware, it's the Black Red Guild. Do you want to lead the charge about cards you need, or...? Uh- Basically, uh, Rakdos, your game plan is to try and rush your opponent at the start of the game, and then when it comes to the mid-range part of the game, your guys are beating through, uh, and they're kind of, uh, you know, big beaters in general, and then you've got to close up the game with something, you know, a way of pushing your guys through, and we're just going to talk about that just now. So, what we start with is the, the, the cards that you need to make the deck work, like the cards that are absolutely essential, and as well as them being essential to the deck, you can also probably take these cards as a good signal that the deck might be open if they're coming past you. Does that make sense, Craig? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so the cards are thinking, uh, because this is a, a creature-based deck, it's a aggro deck, you need creatures, unsurprisingly, and the creatures that Rakdos has available are the Unleash guys. So we're talking here, uh, Budfrey Giant, uh, Gorehouse Chainwalker, Splatter Thug, the Multicolored Guy, Hellhole Flailer, mm-hmm. and uh, Dead Reveler are your main kind of chunky guys. But you also want to have uh, one and two drops that are going to do the work for you at the early game. So they're maybe not as powerful as those guys I just mentioned, but you need to 
they coming out the gates really fast. So guys like your Rack Dust Cackler, your Thrill Kill Assassin, Grim Roustabout, and Raptor Shred Freak are pretty essential as well. Failing that, you can also squeeze in Frostborn Weirds, they can work as well, because uh, well, they're just pretty good. Just the only thing you've got to remember is they're double red when you're playing them in a Rakdos deck, so you have to put your, you know, put a priority on your uh, your mountains. Yeah. Yeah? Is there any other cards you can think of that would... Uh, my, I had a slightly different list. It was a more concise, shorter list. Oh, right. I mean, I mean the, the, the four cards I see as key are Dead Reveler, which is your 2-3 Unleash. Um, because if you unleash it, it's a 3-4. And that's basically where you, like last week I was talking how there's a 3-4 divide. Yeah. If you have a 3-4 on, you know, on the table, there goes the centaurs. Yeah, like that's true. Um, the Rakdos Cackler, which is the 1-1 one, one with Unleash, because it's only a one drop, it's a really efficient, like a 2-2 two, two for one mana is really efficient, and because it's an either color for Rakdos, I think that's pretty good as well. Um, the Gorehouse Chainwalker, which is a 2-1 Unleash, or a 3-2 Unleash, so then that kills Centaurs. And then your Splatter Thug, which is your 2-2 Unleash First Striker, who obviously goes up to 3-3 if you've unleashed him, and then 3-3 First Striking, is again dealing with Centaurs. Like, I feel the Dead Reveler and Splatter Thug are especially, like, those are potentially the two most yeah. key cards. Yeah. Because, you know, one kills the 3-3s, and the other one, well, actually, they both kill the 3-3s, but for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, I can see that, but I mean, I'm just saying that those other cards I mentioned, they're basically all the Unleash ones, bar just a couple. Yeah. The, they're all key to the deck. You need you need guys at every slot. Like you, need to, you need to be able to curve this deck out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I like, I, I'll be honest. Most of those cards, which I haven't mentioned in the need, are in my want. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Which I guess we'll move on to now, which is the cards you want. So the ones I've got listed here, I mean, I, again, there's some of the ones you've already mentioned. Grim Roustabout. Uh, the Throw Kill Assassin, the Blood Free Giant, the Hellhole Flailer. Um, on top of this, I've got the Rakdos Rage Mutt, your 3-3 Lifelink Haster, the Rick's Maddie Guild Mage, uh, the Ogre Jailbreaker may seem a bit odd, and uh, maybe we can come back to discussing about why you do or don't want to get gates, but, um, the Sewer Shambler also seems pretty good, and then the spawn of Rick's Maddie, although that comes while later in the curve, and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you could win without a spawn of Rick's Maddie, or without getting the mana to cast a spawn of Rick's Maddie, but 5-3 Unleash, not to be understated, so. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big guy, isn't he? He, he definitely <laughs> is. So, the, I mean, the cards I would say that you're wanting to pick up are, uh, well, ones that you didn't mention, are the, the cards that allow you to just finish the game. Things like um, Gutter Snipe, uh, Explosive Impact, even some of the enchantments like Deviant Glee or the one that gives you Flying Pursuit, Pursuit of Flight. Of flight. Yeah, those, um, yeah, those two auras are pretty strong. Because, I mean, the, the basic idea is you're getting as much damage as you can in early game, and as your opponent catches up, a lot of the decks can drop a lot of defenders and, and a lot of guys that can equal you, a lot of the the defenders of four toughness, you know, doorkeepers, and Cressel uh, uh, Troll, and there's also other awkward creatures that are hard to get around. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just need a way of closing up the game. And another card, uh, Rogue's Passage, that ah. is kind of overlooked a lot of the time. Yeah. When you've got your uh, your Rick's Maddie, uh, oh no, what's he called? The spawn of Rick's Maddie. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you say, a big big five five power guy and you can sneak him through every turn without being blocked it's 
definitely a way of closing up the game, you know. Yeah, Rogue's Passage, that, that's just potentially underlooked. Uh, but then again, I've never seen it, so I'm not personally guilty for not taking it. Mm. <laughs> Disclaimer. Um, but yeah, Rogue's Passage, that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, Gutter Snipe's pretty, pretty insane as well, because you, you are uh, using a lot of instant speed removal, and just getting the extra points of damage over can be pretty good. Yeah, I suppose we should mention, like, the removal. I mean, to be honest, it's pretty much all the removal in the correct colours, which is launch yeah. party, stab wound, annihilating fire, explosive impact, maybe a bit too expensive for the, the well, sort of deck. Um, maybe, mean, but it doubles as a, as a finisher as well, I think, you know? Yeah, um, auger spree, uh, traitor's instinct isn't removed, well, it could be removal, I mean, you could traitor's instinct attack, launch party, yeah. I mean, Traitor's Instinct's another good one for getting the damage through, because whether you, you remove a blocker, you add an extra guy, an extra damage to your team yeah. for that turn, it's just a good way of closing up the game. Um, there's a couple of other cards which aren't... They're, they're in the correct colours, I'm not quite sure whether they fit into the deck or not. Uh, my first thought... The first thought was Mind Rot. You know, they, you get rid of two of their cards, they got less opportunities to sort of catch up or deal with you or do yeah. anything. Um, I, I like I like Mind Rot as a as a sideboard card with some decks that yeah. it's good good against. Um and also I find Mind Rot uh a gains value when you're on the draw because your opponent may sort of mulligan. Oh right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're on the draw and your opponent's well, or even if he's not on the draw, he's already a card down, so you get the best effect out of your mind rot sooner. Yeah. But whether it fits into the Rakdos uh, game plan sort of all the time, I'm not sure. But like, certainly against some decks, it's good. Um, the other one, which is Mind Rot Plus, is Skull Rend. Yeah. Which uh, does two damage and then causes you to discard two cards, I seem to recall. Yeah. Yeah, I might, cons- might consider that one if I was running Gutter Snipes. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's like, too expensive at five. Yeah, a little know, bit, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, Rakdos is uh, it's somewhat easy to draft because if it's got a Rakdos symbol on it, you take it. And <laughs> if it's in red and black, then you take it after you got rid of all the symbols. Like, the Rakdos, like all the cards, basically, are very, very good. Yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, uh, Dan that pointed out, uh, Dan that does uh, the videos and stuff. The 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 charm's not particularly good. Let me just let me just double check what that says again. Yeah, I think it's 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 kind of a situational card. So it destroys an artifact or does ex- I mean I suppose you could do damage with it. Okay, so Rakdos Charm either exiles all cards from a graveyard or destroys an artifact or does or sorry, each creature deals one damage to its controller. Which I always thought was the best ability. It's what you kinda use against a token deck. You know, oh you got tons of creatures there, well take tons of damage. But yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think Rakdos Charm was poten- I think that was potentially my thought for the weakest charm. Yeah, I don't think it's as necessary as other. Or, yeah, you certainly don't need as much as other charms. No, it's. I mean, the the extra damage could finish them out if you're forcing them to overcommit because of the amount of threats you're putting on the board. Mm-hmm. But you need to be ahead of your opponent, I suppose, to be able to take the damage off your own guys. So moving from the charm to the Guild Mage. The Guild Mage has a place in this deck, as far as oh, I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, I would also probably say it's best of the Guild Mages. Well, yeah. Maybe. It's, yeah, maybe, yeah. I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to take too. I mean, oh, let me just type in guild mage and just double check if it's actually what I think is the best. Um, actually, V2 Gazi guild mage probably. I mean, yeah, Rick's Maddie and V2 Gazi are doing completely different things. So the Rick's, yeah, yeah, either of them are probably the best. But Rick's the nice thing about Rick's Maddie guild mage is its abilities are just so cheap. Yeah, and they're sort of almost always relevant. Like the, either they're blocking or they're taking damage. And then yeah. you can use either of the abilities or both of the abilities, depending on what you want to do. He's a great way for getting past those those four toughness blockers. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I suppose he, he helps out the Grim Roustabout a lot as well. Because the Grim Roustabout is one of these cards that I'm not so sure about if it's as good as the other two drops in the aggressive deck. Because the I find the, the regenerate becomes less relevant because you're not wanting to... Uh, you're, you're wanting to keep your mana for playing guys. Yeah. And so you attack with your guy, and okay, you've got threat of activation on the regenerate, but it's only a 2-2, and usually they're just going to end up trading them or using them to feed a launch party or something. And your other option, obviously, is not unleashing them, but that's not ideal. But, you know, use them, use them as a blocker. Well, yeah, you're, you're keeping two mana behind each turn to block something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, like, what I'm saying is the guild mage... Makes him better. Indeed. Because he starts killing 3 threes, And you Indeed. can regenerate it, I suppose. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, yeah, to be honest, the, de- the deck does kind of easily come together. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rakdos is a lot easier than... Well, I think it's the easiest of the guilds to just pull together, because as I say, it's just grab the cards with the correct symbol, or grab the cards in the correct colours. Yeah, I mean, you've still got, like, decisions to make. I mean, say you're looking at a pack, and your choices are, like, Rakdos Rage Mutt, and who's the other guy we're talking about? Spawn Rick's Maddie. Who's your pick there? I think I take the Rage Mutt because it's cheaper, so I'm more likely to get it out. It's got lifelink, so if I'm racing, then it fixes the race. And it's a 3-3, three, three, well... Yeah, it's a 3-3 three, three instead of a... Hmm. Yeah, it's a 3-3 instead of a 6-4. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's maybe not a good argument. I was going to say it's a 3-3 three, three instead of a 5-3, but the chances are you're probably unleashing your Spawner X Maddie. And like I was going to say, if it is just, like, if their Spawner X Maddie is just a 5-3, it trades with a Centaur, and that's not good. But no. if you've unleashed it, then it kills Centaurs and just doesn't care, so. Yeah. yeah I think the, the, the Rex Maddie spawn thing has, uh, just a bit more durability than the Rage Mutt. Yeah. But the Rage Mutt's still good. He's still got his place. You know, he could, he comes out of nowhere. Boom. Have that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as I say, I think I take it just because it's cheaper, so it's more likely to see play. Is it cheaper? It's not cheaper. They're the same price. They're both five mana. Are they? Yes. Oh wow, I was thinking it was four mana. Um, oh, does that change my mind? Hmm. Hmm, actually. Actually, I'd probably take the spawn, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think the spawn's better. But, hmm. I still like the, the rage map for other things. Yeah. For the lifelink, if you, if you need it. I guess, uh, maybe, actually, I changed my mind again. I'll take the Rage Mutt, because it's uncommon, and the spawn is common. I'm more likely to pick up a, 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 a see a second spawn than I am to see a second Rage Mutt. Okay, okay. Well, and because I, I'd rather I'd rather have one of each than two of either, I think. Right, so you've got, you've got given yourself options. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, think I'm taking the spawn just because he's tougher. Okay. Happy to, to yeah. agree to disagree, yeah. Do you want to... Uh, do your rules quotes on the Unleash mechanic. Yes, um, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but Unleash, that's 
an ability on Rakdos cards? Yes. No. No? It's not an ability. It's two abilities. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, I (laughs) I, I intentionally caught you out by phrasing that awkwardly. So, unleash is a keyword that represents two static abilities. So the first half means when this permanent enters the battlefield, sorry, you may have this permanent enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. That's the yep. first ability. Now, the important thing about this is when you play play your card, say you're playing your Gorehouse Chainwalker, you say, I cast Gorehouse Chainwalker. Make sure they pass priority before you do anything because you do not choose whether it has a plus one, plus one counter on it until it hits the battlefield, until the spell resolves. You don't go, I'm casting Gorehouse Chainwalker with Unleash. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Because if you, if you sort of tell them that, then they get the opportunity to go, well, you know, I don't mind fighting a 2-1, which regenerates, but a 3-2, which regenerates? No, I don't want that. I'll cancel that, or I'll, you know, whatever. Yeah. You choose after it's, like, as it's resolving, it, you choose if the plus one, plus one counter is on it or not. Yeah, it's actually really interesting, that, uh, just the way you phrase it. Yeah. In the cast, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it depends who I play against. Like, if I play against, say, you or Dan, someone I know who's probably not going to really abuse that information, because, you know, you probably knew what you were doing at any rate. I'll just say, I play Gorehouse Jane Walker Unleashed and put the counter on it. But if it's someone I'm I'm not quite sure how they play, I'm not quite sure how clued up they are, I'll say, I cast Gorehouse Jane Walker, and then I wait, and then I go, does it resolve? And if it's yes or no, then I choose whoever to put the counter on. Yep. You know, yep. Even if I wasn't planning to put the counter on, I, I always just pause and go, does it resolve? Yep. You know, it's, it's an option as a, as a result. It's not thing you choose as you're casting it. So that's one of the important thing to note. Um, the second part of Unleash is if this has a plus one, plus one counter on it, it cannot block. Now, it doesn't matter if this plus one, plus one counter is the Unleash plus one, plus one counter, or you've been, it's being put on it by Common Bond or any other card which just gives counters. If it's got a counter, which is a plus one, plus one counter on it, it can't block. It doesn't matter where that counter came from. Yeah. So it's not it's not like you need to say this is the unleashed plus one plus one counter and this is the non unleashed plus one plus one counter. That it just doesn't matter. If it's got at least a plus one plus one counter on it, it can't block. That's it. Yeah, I'm just trying to look for common bond. Common bond does that only affect creatures you control? I think it says target creature gets plus one plus one, target creature gets plus one plus one. Sorry. Yeah, it does. So you can intentionally plus one up your opponent's Rakdos guys. Yes. So they can't block your guys. That's sweet. I'd never even considered that. Yes. If, if you're playing Selesnya against Rakdos, then you can use Common Bond to make their guys not block. Do note the problem. You are giving them plus one, plus one on the, on the swing back. But, <laughs> you know, um, if you can do that and get rid of their two blockers to swing for lethal, you're using Common Bond correctly. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be on your guys. So, yeah, that's... Um, that's Unleashed, and that's the thing that you can do with Unleashed. So remember, you choose as it resolves, wherever the plus one, plus one counter goes on it, and doesn't matter where, the, where a plus one, plus one counter comes from, if it's got one on it, or it's got two, or three, or any number, it can't block. Yeah. So that is Unleash. Nice. Well done. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I may be brushing up on my rules slightly. Um, so... Moving on to how we deal with the other guilds. So, um, should you start with Visit? Okay, I'll start with Visit. Although yeah. I have to confess, I've not played a lot of Visit, and I've not played against a lot of it. And yeah. it's, you know, it's mainly because uh, it's kind of an underdrafted guild because it's not seen as being very strong. But you've got to be careful because 
simply because of that, it can be ridiculous when people got access to every card in the, in the draft pool. Yeah, if nobody else is taking the Isa cards and there's one guy taking the Isa cards, yeah. Yeah. Um, don't don't underestimate him. Yeah. So, basically, the Isa player has access to all the counters he wants, doesn't like counter spells, and he's been stealing all your red-based removal. He's also got big defenders in the, in the shapes of Void Wielders and uh, Doorkeepers. And he can be pretty aggressive as well. So it's a tricky matchup because he can, can be either an aggressive or controlling deck, depending on what he's got. Although most people only go into it if they've pulled like a dragon or something, you know, like Mercurial Chemster or something like this. It's, they, they feel it's worth taking a chance on a weaker deck, yeah, weaker guild. You know, so most of the time they'll probably be a controlling deck. Because we wanting to get those cards, so I mean the the cards that you're really wanting to have in your deck for this particular matchup, you're looking at the the cards that can push through the damage in the late game because he's going to be able to slow you down with lobber crews and void wielders and things. So you need to be able to finish him off because you've probably got an advantage at the beginning of the game, even though he's probably got some of your creatures. You know, he's probably got your splatter thugs and maybe even your chain walkers and stuff. So you know, fairly evenly matched, but you really should have the you know tempo on your side at the beginning of the game. But then I suppose you're looking for your ways to get through as uh, as defenses. Um, like this is one of the matchups where where I, where I think that mind rot's a, a good addition to your deck yeah. because he's sitting holding on to his counters, holding on to that removal he's picked up. You're trying to just reduce his options by thinning out his hand. And that's pretty much it. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing which has been pointed out is that you, Electricery is probably a good card here because uh, either it, it, can, it could kill some of their guys, but the other thing is if you're attacking with your uh, Dead Reveler or your Splatter Thog, both doing three damage, they've got their 04 walls. Electricery does that final point of damage. Yeah. Um, so, so does your Guild Mage. So does your Guild Mage. <laughs> Slightly more likely to have picked up an Electricery, but... Yeah, true. Um, yeah. So it's interesting you're using his cards against him. <laughs> use, he, he's, it, he's using your card? cards against you, so you know. Yeah. As you say, he he wants a splatter thug for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a card I look highly if I'm playing as it. So um. Yeah. Right. Um. Moving to Golgari. Yep. Uh, Golgari is just another deck that's got a lot of defense because the Golgari plans kind of. Uh, ramp based and that's dependent on the number of defenders you can have. So the rock and trestle trolls and axe pain guardians and the odd gatekeeper vine. And it's a case of you need to build out classes guys each step. So again, cards that can push that extra point of damage in are good. Uh, trestle troll can be a real problem because <laughs> it's got regenerate and it's like, ah. And again, you're looking at ways of getting past. I don't know, did we mention earlier um, potentially splashing for teleportal? No, we didn't mention splashes. Yeah, the, like the cards like teleportal are good against uh, defender dependent decks. Um, there's another one. Pursuit of, Pursuit of flight. Okay. And chemistry's trick. Yeah. Yeah. But chemistry's trick's less effective against the defenders, obviously, because they can't attack. So yeah, true, but 
Yeah, it's a case that you need to find a way to get past these guys. And I, I like to look, look at uh, Safe Passage again. Not Safe Passage, what we're calling it. Rogue's Passage. Yeah. Electricery could be handy here as well, because, like, the, the other part, or another way I've been killed in the past by Golgari players is they use the their guild mage's ability to sack a defender. They get a bunch of saplings, which is equal to the toughness of the creature they've sacrificed. That rings a bell. So, like, obviously their defenders are usually about four toughness. They get a bunch of saplings, and then there's an instant speed pump effect, which is equal to number of creatures you control. control. Yeah. Yeah. So electricery is a good response to that. Uh, just, to, just to stop them getting out of hand with the, with the tokens and, like as you were saying earlier, about getting extra point of damage on the defenders. Uh, you, you could be in trouble late game, I suppose, if they manage to start scavenging on the big guys, but hopefully you've kept some removal for them. Yeah, the Axeman Guardian is somewhat the threat. Um, the Axeman Guardian gets you to your scavenge costs a lot quicker. Yeah. But I think Axeman Guardian is, is potentially like a very integral card in the Golgari deck just because scavenge is so expensive and Axeman Guardian can very cheaply get you to that. Because yeah. you're probably playing uh, Trestle Trolls, uh, as I say, your Axeman Guardians, probably your Gatekeeper Vines, maybe, possibly, but the, you know, they're all Guardians, all helping Axeman Guardian get a lot more mana, so... Yeah, in the late game, you need your removal. Yeah, luckily he's uh, in range of annihilating fire. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, or or even just if you're, I mean, he's an O3, isn't he? The Axe Guardian. Yeah. So he dies to Dead Reveler, Splatter Thug, even a Gorhouse Chainwalker. Um, yeah. What I quite like doing, uh, I mean, it works in other decks like this as well. But uh, what I quite like doing is. Getting stab wound onto something, but not killing it. Something yeah. like a defender, and then attacking evasively. So like end, the end game plan is you've you've done your initial onslaught, and then like they've got this big one force sitting there, you can't attack anyway. Also works quite well on your opponent's uh, big unleashed creatures that can't block, and you put a stab wound on them, and it's doing this two damage every turn, and then you're using your rogue's passage to sneak damage through or you've got pursuit of flight on somebody and he's getting through somebody's getting through somewhere that's all adding up but the important thing is they're not letting him block with the guy you've stabbed him on indeed yeah I think yeah the only other card I want to mention is Mind Rot it's pretty much the same reason as before he's likely to have combat tricks being in green and black um, he may even have a Mind Rot of his own so yeah yeah just, just another card I'll probably mention um, right, on to Azorus. Okay, nope. There's two ways I play Azorus. Like, I, you know, either I'm playing a, a really tempo-based aggressive build, or a more controlling, controlling build with defenders and flyers. So what we said before about defenders and getting past them still applies with Azorus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but against the aggro deck, the thing is, I think, just your guys outclass them. So you, you should be looking pretty good just with your initial onslaught. And your only problem here is detain, but I don't really see it as a massive problem because while he's detaining your guys with his spells, your spells are killing his guys. You know, it's like the old uh, Untouchables. Remember Untouchables? You've seen that one with uh, Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. I don't think I have. You've not seen Untouchables, right? Well, 
Sean Connery's like the the old uh, the sort of uh, veteran cop, and okay. he's teaching teaching the young Elliot Ness, who's uh, Kevin Costner, is teaching him the rules of the street. Okay. There's a couple couple times in the couple times in the film he sort of comes out with a line. He goes, "Just like oh, I'll do, oh, I've got to do my Sean Connery impression. Like just like Capone brings a knife to a gunfight." <laughs> okay, is this is this where the knife to a gunfight quote comes from? Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, I, and, uh, I know that well. I kind of feel it's what it's like against the Azorus Temple. You're he's going ah, and that's an injunction. I draw a card, and you go <laughs> annihilate and fire. Your guy dies, you know. And then Electricity is good again because he's sort of going ha ha. I've got my uh, arrestor, detain your guy. You go okay. That's a bit makes me a little sad. He goes arrestor, detain your guy. You go still a bit sad, and I got two guys so and then he goes, ha, we have Sky Knight. And you go, hmm, electricery. And, <laughs> and he just goes, sad face. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I like electricery against the Zorus Agro player. And uh, I suppose the big difference with the control the control version of Zorus is the flyers. You've got to be able to deal with the flyers somehow, and it's worth saving your removal for those. But the problem is if you've used no removal on those, you've still got to get past the defenders. So it could be awkward. Bounce? Bounce could be, an issue. A, could be an issue, although in some ways it allows you to re-choose what you're doing with your Unleashed Guys. Yeah. Which can be an advantage, but, you know. Yeah. So, what's the, what's the, what's the last skill we've not covered, Craig? Selesnia. Selesnia, right. So, here what we're looking at is a bunch of 3-3s, whether they're Centaur Tokens, Centaur Healers, or you know, Mold Slime molding? Yep, slime molding. Three, but anyway, you're looking at a lot of three power, three toughness guys. So what's good for you is your two drops trade up with these guys. So your chain walkers and, uh, or is it just chain walker? That's the two drop, three power. Is throw kill two drop? Yeah, he is, yeah. So your, your two drops one leash, or some of them anyway, can trade up to his, his three drops, which is nice for you. Uh, the, Problem for you, I suppose, comes with your three drops when they've only got three toughnesses. Am, am I right in saying that? Yeah, like your, uh, the Hellhole guy, uh, Hellhole Flare, Flare, he's unleashed as a, as a four, four three. three. And so then the, the tables kind of get turned on you and he's now trading up with his less expensive guys. And, um, you've got to watch for combat tricks here as well. So he's, in fact, he's actively trying to combat trick and like we mentioned this last, last week about timings everything when you're playing Selesnia the same is true uh, for when you're playing with uh, Rakdos because you're wanting to catch him out you, you you want to you want him to be playing his combat tricks into your removal so a good way to do that is just invite him to trade with you just keep attacking at them relentlessly I mean to be able to do this you need to have a lot of creatures in your deck. So, I mean, most of the time, Rakdos deck's going to be fairly creature-heavy. You're wanting, you know, to be on the right side of 15 creatures to be able to keep the pressure on uh, each stage of the game. And uh, so what you do is you keep attacking and keep attacking and force him to trade and get him to try and use his combat tricks. And when he starts to try to use his combat tricks, you instant speed removal... You use your instant speed removal. Sorry, I'm just not using words. You use your instant speed removal on his guys and hopefully get some incremental advantage out of it. You know, sort of card advantage by getting two cards for the price of one. You know? Yeah, especially nice if he uses one of the popular combat tricks and you just kill the token in response. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, I think any guild fighting Celestia, remember the tokens are worth more dead than killing other creatures, because he's using his tokens more. Yeah. I'm trying to think of Rakdos specific things. I, I, I think you're reasonably well covered by, I, again, I think the, t- the two key cards, Dead Reveler, Splatter Thug, both deal with centaurs. Yeah. And that's a good place to be. Yeah. Um, and then your other guys trade up with your guild mage sitting around, so. Yeah. Right, I think we're done with Selesnia then. Um, I've just got one more question before we move off of Rakdos completely. I mentioned earlier, and I don't think you did, so here's the point of contention. The Ogre Jailbreaker, the 4-4, which can only attack if there's a gate in play. Do you play the Jailbreaker and accept having a gate? I work along the lines of I'll play the Jailbreaker if I'm playing a gate. Okay. And I need a good reason to be playing a gate in what essentially is a really aggressive deck. So, you know, if there's, if I'm, for example, going on the teleportal plan and I'm playing an Is It Guild Gate, then I'll play Ogre Jailbreakers because they're really good value 4 force. Yeah, de- oh, definitely, yeah. But I'm not specifically putting in Rakdos Guild Gates just to play them because I don't like the idea of missing a point on my curve at the start of the game by having lands coming intact. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if you said this before, but I certainly know this your opinion. You you don't like playing gates in aggro decks. Yeah, we've talked about it before amongst ourselves. I don't I know if I mentioned I was, it. I think it was on the first show actually when we were talking was about Gill Gates. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm of a different opinion. Like I'm quite happy to run a gate. I probably maybe just the one gate. Probably I probably wouldn't run two in a Rakdos deck. But like for me, if I've got the gate, I'm playing the Jailbreaker. Probably not really playing it if I don't have the gate, but I'm more than happy to slap a Rakdos Gilgate into this deck. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, the advantage of a really aggressive deck is that you get consistency, mm-hmm. where, and it really punishes people for being greedy with their mana, mana base, and this is, I mean, Rakdos is probably the reason that you don't see a lot of sort of five-colour green-based decks working with Axbane Guardians and things. It's just because Aggressive decks really punish those decks for being inconsistent, and adding like creatures that can only attack if a certain conditions met adds inconsistency to your own deck, and I think you're just eating away at your own advantages. Does that make sense? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a great aggro player. Like whenever I play aggro, I'm always thinking, well, I need a few defenders just to like keep me alive while I'm attacking in, and that's just kind of going the wrong. Direction for an yeah. aggro deck. You should be you should be thinking about how to beat them quicker, not how to protect yourself from getting beaten. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I play the gate, and if I've got the jailbreaker, I play it. If I don't have the gate, I don't play the jailbreaker. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think I'm, I'm another way around. I think. Well, not another way around, but I think if I'm if I'm playing a gate for it, I said it already. But if I'm playing a gate already yeah. for another reason, then the jailbreaker maybe makes a cut. Yeah. Okay. Um. Right, we're done? Yep. Right, so we'll move on to our second uh, regular feature, which is Name That Card. So uh, yeah. I've described it before, but I'll describe it again, saying we are still early in the show. Every week, each of us picks a card, and we sort of tease out the details and see how quickly the other one can guess it. So I shall begin. Okay, dokie. He says, having not even picked a card. <laughs> uh, okay, this may be an easy one. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I've not had the great track record. I'd be happy just to get one point. <laughs> I, 
I'm not quite sure how we're scoring this. We're going to have to work on the uh, scoring system. Are, are we right? keeping scores? Because if we are, then you're 2-0 up. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we're keeping scores. Right, um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, I have in front of me a creature. Ooh. I was sent to pick creatures. He is uncommon. Oh. And he is a four drop. Okay. But he is only a two one. A two one four drop. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't well, sound very impressive, does it? Hmm. Uh ring a bell. Uh You're gonna have to give me more though. He <laughs> or it is a spirit. Spirit. Oh, two one spirit. For four. Yeah. For four. Oh, is it the detained chap? The unblockable. Yes. Yeah. What's his name? The soul sworn spirit. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yay! Did I get that? Even though I didn't get the name. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. You got the abilities. He is unblockable. When he enters battlefield, he detains a creature. Cool. And yeah, yeah two one, one buddy. <laughs> well, maybe I can guess yours quicker. So oh, maybe you can. Maybe you can. What do you have for me, sir? I will put my. Okay, in my... I, I shall find something worthy of of of, of your guessage. <laughs> is guessage a word? I don't think it is. I think I just made that up. It's it's British English. <laughs> I'm working on the assumption we have more non-Brits listening to this than Brits, but yeah, cool. Um, let's work on that assumption and say it's British English. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Okay. I have for you, sir, a creature. Okay. And it has converted mana cost of one. Oh. Oh, wait. No, wait. If, the only way I can get a point is if I guess at this stage. All I right. Reckon. Okay. So I will so I guess. You gave me power and toughness and creature type. Well, I'm going to... Okay. One more clue and then I will guess and try to beat you. But okay. Continue. Power and toughness, two, one. Oh, I'm not quite sure if that changes my mind. Uh, oh, actually, I, can th- I think I can think of two cards. I'll try Dryad Militant. It is Dryad Militant. Oh! Craig, I hate you. Wow. <laughs> uh, initially, I was going to say Judge is Familiar. Oh, yeah, I like that one too. You, 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 may, you, you probably should have let me go there, but oh, look at that. <laughs> so is that like 3-1 or is that like just 3-0? I, th- I I think it's probably just three nil. Like if you if you uh, you can't go first and just get a point by guessing first. That seems okay, I suppose. Yeah. So three nil to me. Boom! I am the name a card master. <laughs> you are actually. I'm sickened by your knowledge of cards. Bah. <laughs> right. So that's name that card done with. So we're moving on to the personal topics now. Uh, do you want to start? Shall I start? Uh, I suppose I could start. Yeah, I could I, start. I, I, yeah, I, I, I offer the option. I'm not. This is not a subtle way of trying to say you must go first. So. Yeah, well, I don't mind. I don't mind. It's an interesting thing I was thinking about this week because uh, because uh, our hobby store where we play Magic ran out of rack. Uh, ran out of Rakdos. I'm still talking about Rakdos. Ran right, out of uh, Return to Ravnica. I ran out of Rakdos and all other guilds. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. There are no more packs for drafting. So we did a, an Innistrad Dark Ascension draft uh, on last Friday. And it was interesting because I've not done one for a while. And in the last pack of the draft, uh, 
card came to me and it was no the red vampire Falcon Wreath Marauders. Falcon Wrath Marauders, okay. Falcon Falcon Wrath Marauders, yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking around at who's gonna be receiving this because I'd already noticed that Dan was what, two places round from me. There was a young chap sitting next to me and then Dan was round the table from me. I'm thinking, oh, I really don't want Dan to have this. So I'd already seen a couple of red werewolves going on his on his pile of cards he was collecting, you know, because you can see the backs of the cards in, in a strand. And I think I don't want to have this. There's nothing particularly I want in this pack, or there might have been, but I, I didn't want Dan to have it more just because, like, he's, he's, he's always winning. And it's like, no, Dan, you're not allowed to win anymore. I'm taking your cards. And uh, <laughs> so basically what I was going to talk about today is hate drafting and whether it's worth it or not. And what I've got, I've got a couple of statements I want to read out and see if you agree or disagree, Craig. Okay. Okay, so statement number one, right? Hate drafting is stupid. You're actively making your own deck worse and only affecting one out of seven of your opponents. Not hate drafting those cards will send clear signals to the players you're passing to who otherwise might move into your colours. So basically, yeah, do you agree with that or... Uh, Am I only allowed to answer yes or no? Yes or no with that one. Ah, if I can only answer yes or no, I will say, yeah, you're stupid for hate drafting. Yeah. So statement number two, right? You only need to make a 40-card deck. This leaves room to take up to 15 cards that you may not play. If you take powerful cards from outside your colours over mediocre cards which are on colour, but will probably get cut from your deck, not only are you hurting your opponents, but you're able to keep your options open should you need to switch colour in later packs. Um. Hmm. Yes? Yeah, right. So I think I agree. Yeah, so what, what I've got is a couple of situations for you. Okay. And you tell me whether you'd hate draft or not. Okay. Right. So, well, the first couple ones are pretty straightforward, I think. So, it's pack three, pick one. You just open the pack. Yep. You open Angel of Serenity, and you're playing Rakdos. Oh. In the pack, right, there are cards that will make your deck better. Do you hate draft or not? It depends what the cards are. They, they, they will make your deck better. How much better? A little bit. A lot. It doesn't really matter how much better. The, 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 well, see, uh, see quality removal. You've got a removal spell. Like Augur Spree or Stab yeah. Wound. Okay, um, I take the Augur Spree or the Stab Wound over the Angel because... Do you want an explanation or do you just yeah, want my answer? Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, like the Angel Serenity... It's nice to hate, but if it's straight up removal, that's what you want in your Rakdos deck. Yeah. Even if it's a decent guy and you don't have enough, like, <laughs> saying these words too often tonight, Dead Reveler Splatter Thug. <laughs> you know, if, if you need another one, then I'd rather take that because there's no way you're splashing the Angel Serenity. It's triple white. Furthermore, yeah. it's a seven drop and you're certainly not splashing it. Hating it again, it was what you just said. You're hurting one out of seven people. Yeah. And, 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 and even if you end up playing that person, they may not draw it. You know? uh, if you're playing Rakdos as well, hopefully you don't get to a place where they have seven mana on the table. Yeah. But I digress. So, yeah, yeah I think I take quality removal, quality Rakdos card over the thing which wins games. Okay. So, next one. It's pack three, pick eight. So, your last pack, and you're quite deep into the pack, okay? Mm-hmm. You're playing Azorus. And there's a trained car 
and I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Caracal. 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 Yeah. Yeah, train Caracal in the pack, which you are unlikely to play, but is the only card in your colours. Also in the pack is a late Augur Spree. Augur Spree. Yeah, last pack, Hate Draft Augur Spree. Yeah, Augur Spree is such a good card. Why the hell's it got round to me and the Train Caracal isn't a card? Yeah, sure. You don't want a 1 1 lifelinker. What's it no. doing? Okay, so. There, so what, what, what I'm trying to say is there are situations where you won't hate drafting situations where you will, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, pack, right, okay, another situation. Pack two, right, pick four. Right, okay. So, fairly early in pack two. Yeah. Right. You're playing Rakdos. The only card in your colour is Explosive Impact. You already have two of them. And a third is unlikely to make it into your deck because it costs six mana. Yeah, this is true. Also in the pack is a Dead Bridge Goliath. Huh. And those are the only cards worthy of a note, to, of note to you, really, in the pack. <laughs> wow. Um, well, yeah, you're right. I'm not playing. A, I'm in Rakdos. I've got two explosive impact. I, I'm taking yeah. the Dead Bridge Goliath. Right. So you're quite happy to ship a explosive impact to the player to your right. Yeah, uh, e- even if this was simple, even if this was a case where somehow I'm not playing any of the cards in this booster, which is impossible. The two best cards are explosive impact and dead bridge Goliath. I'm yeah. Uh, which one am I hating? I'm hating the dead bridge Goliath, and then passing on the explosive impact. So I'm taking the dead bridge Goliath, whether I'm hating or just one for my own deck, because a third one is not getting in my deck. So you're 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 leaning towards the argument of. Uh, not hate drafting is stupid, but you're only making the 40 card deck. So this is one of your 15 that you're definitely not playing. Well, no, I'm taking Detroit Goliath and maybe thinking I could go into Golgari because it is next door. Also, it, it's the best card, so it's kind of hate drafting. It's kind of just taking the best card, which taking the best card is potentially another draft strategy, but maybe we'll only be playing five yeah. colors. But, you know, it's next door. It could be splashable. It could be, it could be. And it's possibly worth splashing, maybe. I mean, you know, we're early. I, I could end up being three colours. I could end up just finding my, what, like, red drying up, and I just need to kind of go-go Gary, so. Yeah, I suppose the the point I'm making here is, like, the by not passing Deadbridge Goliath, it's possible that your opponent, who may have been playing green, will no longer be playing green. Hmm. And when it comes for him to pass to you, he's maybe splashing red now because he's got an explosive impact. And he sees that as being a good sign that red might be open. So you're maybe damaging yourself by hate drafting in that situation. Or maybe you're not. Maybe the... So the I'm just trying to sort of think out loud about what yeah. the uh, implications of hate drafting are. No, it's, it's definitely a good thought. I, I don't think... I personally don't see this as a hate draft scenario. Yeah. Um, like... I'm, maybe I'm the sort of person I, I kind of lock into one colour after the first pack. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe I am thinking, yeah, I want to be Rakdos, and I've got good Rakdos cards. But I need to consider the fact that I may end up being cut from Rakdos, and then I need to look at the two guilds next to me. So I'm thinking maybe it or maybe Golgari. Yeah. And then, as I say, the, the third one's not getting in my deck. The Deadridge Goliath is a good Golgari card. And, you know, if I end up in Golgari, then it's good to pick up this card up just now. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, personally, I, I don't know if we've talked about this already, but myself, myself, I don't like switching colour in pack two because if that stuff's open to your right, then that means it's 
the, like a Deadbridge glass coming from your right, it probably means Green's not been getting past uh, in the first pack, which means you won't see a lot in the second pack, in the third pack, sorry. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, so, another another uh, situation, Craig, you ready for another one? Uh, yep, sure. Yep, okay, okay right. You're drafting a Selesnia. Your deck's main win condition is to overrun the board with centaur tokens. Okay, you've got the you've got the cards that make centaurs. You've got the cards that populate. That's your main focus of what you're doing. Okay. It's pack three, pick ones. You 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 know what's in your deck. Yeah. Uh, in this pack, there are playable cards in your colours which would make your deck better. Okay, they're varying quality. They're, they're, there's maybe call of the conclave. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Call of the conclave. Yeah. Another centaur guy. Mm-hmm. But the rare in the pack is Detention Sphere, a card which could really hurt your game plan. Ooh. Mm. Tricky, tricky. <laughs> this this kind of depends how many Call of the Conclaves I have, because that is, that is one of the what, three key cards I think we mentioned last yeah. week. Yeah, right, okay, you've got you've got three Call of the Conclaves. And oh, I'm just taking that, that, uh, that you know, Detention Sphere. Just yeah. snap taking it. Because, uh, again, it's right next door. I can splash a little bit. It's, I mean, it probably won't hurt me too much. And, um, yeah, if you just name Centaur, then if that's my main win condition, that's it just blowed out the water. That is the perfect answer to my win condition. And, oh, hell no, mm-hmm. my toy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't actually expecting you to say that. I was thinking you would have... Uh... Taken the fourth call? Yeah, Because yeah. my next situation was the person you're, pass- you're passing to in the exact same setup would be the strongest player at the table. So you know who the strongest player is at the table and you're passing him the win condition to your deck. Because this could be any other uh, deck or format where you've, you've got um, a card which specifically hurts you. It could even be to a lesser extent. I mean, that's, a, that's the most extreme example I could think of. But it maybe wasn't such a good example because you could splash it yourself. I mean, uh, maybe a better situation is Pack Rat and then you see a Detention Sphere. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because pack yeah. rats is just creating pack rats. I mean, yeah, if people weren't aware, that's that's what you do if you get pack rats. You take it, you play pack deck. Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm saying is, do, do you take things that hurt your deck, do you hate draft them, over cards which would actively help it? it and, I, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a timing issue, it's a quality issue, it's a colour issue. Like, it depends how late you are. Like, the later into picking cards... The more happy I am to hate draft, because hopefully, well, actually, maybe that's a lie. So the later into, into individual packs, the happier you are to hate draft, because it tends to be the dregs of the pack at any rate. Yeah. The later on in the draft, the less I'm likely to, to hate draft, because I just want, because like, I just want good cards, and like, I am only hurting a few people potentially. Yeah. I and mean, then the color, the color issue is the other one, especially in this, because um, if it's next door, I'm more likely to take it. If it's the opposite color, then. I can just pretty much pass it. Yeah, I mean, I think what you find with hate draft, well, when you speak to people about hate drafting, people usually have really sort of polarised opinions, though they're either of the never hate draft, you're stupid if you hate draft, you're making your deck weaker camp, or they're of the, oh yeah, I always hate draft, you know, I opened X ridiculous dragon and nobody was getting that, so I put it in, Mm. you know, so... I think there's more middle ground, which a lot of people, especially like P- Friday Night Magic players, uh, overlook, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's what I wanted to talk about, and I feel like talking about it. 
Right, um, I'll move on to my topic, which is sort of a continuation from the first, my first topic in episode one, um, which was about how to play the game. Because uh, I think I mentioned in episode one, there's a, a lot of people who come into the game and they get taught how to, like, the basics of playing the game. Yeah. But they're not opening the comprehensive rules and reading all, like, 200 pages or whatever and learning the game inside and out and knowing everything. Like, they know enough to, uh, you know, they need 60 cards or something or they need 40 cards in a draft and, you know, you tap land to get mana and then you play your cards and you can play spells. Uh, but they maybe just don't know um, how different interactions work. Maybe they don't know what the stack is because they just kind of cast a spell. It happens. And cast a spell and it happens. And, you know, they, yeah. they don't realize that, you know, how counterspell works. So, you know, blue, blue is the big color you avoid when you're a new player because blue is more complicated to play. Yeah. So they maybe never see counterspell. And, you know, they may just look at counterspell and go, how do you counterspell? Because, you know, you just play a spell and it happens. So, so I just wanted to go into basically all the steps in the turn, which are kind of important because, uh, like second main phase, so people just don't know that exists. Priority passes are also quite important. And then beyond this, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. But I'll just start with how a turn begins. So in each turn, there's five phases. The first phase is the beginning phase. So this happens at the beginning of each turn, and it, it's you kind of do it by rote, and you maybe don't entirely pay attention to it. But this is where you untap all your permanents, and that's the untap step. So the first thing you do, if anything's tapped, you untap it. So you got access to your mana again, and your creatures are untapped. Hold on, hold on, Craig. That's not how we play. That's not how we play. I, I, I seem to remember every, every game we play at Friday Night Magic, it was just, I draw my cards. That's the beginning of my turn, isn't it? Oh, wait, I need to untap my cards. No. See, that's, that, how, that's how it usually happens, isn't it? That, that is a casual thing of, of doing. You, you <laughs> draw your card, and then you put it in your hand, and then you untap your guys, and then you're in your first main phase. No, 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 you've, you've gone the wrong way around. In a casual format, it's not going to matter terribly much. But when you start playing, potentially the big boys, or just even a Friday Night Magic, it's going to matter. Yeah. The first thing you do, you untap your permanents. The second thing you do is not draw your card. It's your upkeep step. Now, there's not tons of upkeep cards in any one set, to be honest, but there are some in Return, in, yeah, Return to Ravnica. Stab Wound, for example. At the beginning of your upkeep, you take two damage. That happens in the upkeep step. Before you draw a card. Now again, the timing may not seem terribly important, but this depends on what format you're playing. Like I'm, I'm talking, like I'm in the mental mindset of thinking about Return to Ravnica because we are obviously about drafting. We're about limited. I'm not thinking about really complicated board states and legacy or modern or anything like that. But it's important. It's untap. It's upkeep, and then it's draw a card. Yeah, so that's the correct, correct way you should be doing things. The uh, the chap from Highlander Games who's running the PTQ, mm-hmm. uh, Gary's his name, he's got a mantra. Gary Campbell from Highlander, he's got a mantra. Okay. And it just goes, untap, upkeep, draw. And he says it over and over. And he says, you've got to keep doing that. Start Every time you just got to go, untap, upkeep, draw, untap, upkeep, draw, untap, upkeep, draw. Because it's really easy to miss something in your upkeep when uh, you just draw your card. Because it's, it's automatic, you'll draw my card. Yeah. And then you've just missed something that's not, you know, it'll be, um, in your upkeep, you may do something. Mm-hmm. And you just draw your card, you've blown it, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah that's all I was going to say. No, that, that's an important thing. Like, if you're playing more seriously, not just around the kitchen table, and you draw a card and you go, oh, at the beginning of my upkeep, I get to detain one of your creatures. The other person will go, no, you, you've drawn a card, you chose not to do that. 
carry on to your first main step. And you'll be like, bah, bah, bah. So, I mean, that's how the rules work. If you draw a card, you basically went, I skip all the up, I just skip my upkeep. And that could really hurt depending on the game. Like if they've got, you know, they've got two life and you just kind of skip ahead and you don't tell them, oh, you take two damage from stab wound, then you may have just thrown the game away. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, these two things are in your beginning phase. You untap your permanence, you upkeep, whatever that is, and then you draw a card. Then you go into your first main phase. So this is where you can cast um, your sorceries, your instants, your creatures, your artifacts, your enchantment, your planeswalkers. You can cast everything. They'll untap their creatures because they don't know that it's important to do it this other way around. And then they'll play down their land and they'll tap their mana, they'll play their creature, and they'll go into combat. There's a good reason you don't do all this. It's called your second main phase, which we'll get to. But this is an important thing which player, new players don't realize. After combat, you get a second main phase. In your second main phase, you can do exactly everything you did in your first main phase. You can play a land in your second main phase, but only if you've not played one in your first main phase. So, you know, they're thinking, oh, you've only got three mana, what can you do? And then at the end of combat, you go, oh, I'll play my fourth mana, i put my four drop on the board, what are you going to do now? And they weren't expecting that. Another, another, another um, reason to play your creature's second main is... The activate the abilities on the creatures you already have in play. So you attack with your Grim Roustabout. Your opponent doesn't know if you're going to regenerate it or not. And that's information that's best kept yourself, obviously. You know, you've maybe got the option of casting a four drop or keeping Grim Roustabout alive. Yeah. And uh, the lack of knowledge your opponent has is important because if he knows that you're playing a four drop and you're probably playing it anyway, he'll maybe just trade with his... With his uh, Drudge Beetle or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Another 2-2 bear that he's got sitting there. Like, So if you've played your 4-4 pre-combat, because you were going to do it anyway, you were just going to trade with your with your roustabout, weren't you? That's what your plan was. You were trade with that guy. You weren't going to re- regenerate and you were going to play your guy. So you just play your guy first and then attack. The problem with that is your opponent doesn't know that and there's no need to trade because he won't trade if he thinks you're going to regenerate, you know? Yeah. Sort of doing stuff in your first main phase which isn't going to affect combat is just giving them information to beat you with. Yeah. Um, yeah, just simple as that. Just, just keep, keep, if you don't need to, like, there are certain cards you want to play in your first main phase. Like, don't play your haste creatures in your second main phase if you want to attack with them. Cause they can't attack after the second main phase until next turn. So if you're wanting to get, a, play a haste creature to attack, play it in your first main phase, that's perfectly fine. Don't play something which isn't going to affect the combat or, you know, even be affected by something he doesn't like in combat somehow. Like, say, he plays Electricery to kill your guys in combat and you've played down something <laughs> with one toughness. Then you've just wasted mana to get a guy killed, which is just silly, obviously. So, yeah, be aware there's a second main phase after combat and you may want to do a lot more stuff in your second main phase than in your first main phase. Yep. So after first main phase... You get the combat phase, which is broken down into quite a lot of steps, in all honesty. Um, so at the beginning of combat, well, sorry, there is the beginning of combat step at the beginning of the combat phase. So at the beginning of combat, this is where you can do stuff like um, tap down the enemy creatures. I mean, that's possibly, I don't think you could do that at all in Return to Ravnica, actually. But in earlier formats, you've had the ability where you can tap down their creatures. So basically, before they say, I oh, swing no, you, one. Sorry, Craig, you can't, you bust your squall. Overloaded Buster Squall will tap down all the creatures. Ah, oh, okay, there we go. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, you know, they end their first main phase, and then they go into the beginning of combat. Before they declare attackers, before they turn their guys sideways, you can Buster Squall them. And they're like, oh. And 
why do you blush your skull in the beginning comma phase instead of the first main phase? Any hmm. idea? Um, because of flash creatures. No? I was merely thinking, once you're outside your main phase, you can't cast sorceries. You can't cast artifacts. You can't cast enchantments. You can't ca- you can cast a lot less cards. Basically, the only thing you can do at the beginning of combat step is do instants and activated abilities. So the reason you do Bluster School then is just because it gives them less options to do something else. Right, got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you enter the beginning of combat step, you can do instants, you can do abilities. You don't have to. And then they do declare attacker steps. So the second you, you pass priority, which I'll get to afterwards, in the beginning of combat step, you, de- you declare attacker. So the person who's attacking goes, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, turn them sideways, they're attacking. You can't do anything in between. Like, you had your opportunity at the beginning of combat step to do something. They just they turn all the guy sideways and say, they're attacking, and that happens. There is a part where you can do stuff after they've declared their attackers, but you can't do anything between beginning combat and after their attackers are declared. So um, that's important. After that, you get the declare blocker step, where sort of all at the same time, you just go block, 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 and they can't do anything to interrupt you if they've passed priority. So there's there's the opportunity to do something at the beginning of combat. All the attackers are tapped. There's an opportunity to do something after the attackers are tapped that all the blockers are blocking. And then there's the ability to do something before damage happens, because damage is the next step after declare blockers. So damage sort of just happens like simultaneously. There's no way to react to it. If, if somebody takes three damage and it's got three toughness, it's dead. You can't pump it after damage has happened. You really want to do that beforehand. However, there can be two combat damage steps if there's first strike involved. Now, this is yeah. potentially a very cornery case, but say um, you have a venging arrow. And they've got a first striker. So they first strike and they do some damage and it doesn't kill your guy. You can then go, well, between the first strike combat damage and the normal combat damage, I cast Avenging Arrow and kill your guy before he can do his second swing or whatever. Oh, you're, think- you're thinking double strike. I'm thinking, sorry, I'm thinking double strike, actually. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering um, where you were going, yeah. Sorry. Yes, double strike. So, you know, they've got their precinct captain, so they do two first strike damage against your centaur. And you're like, oh, Avenging Arrow, kill it. I mean, yeah, you could have just sat there and went, yeah, my center trades with your precinct captain, but frankly, keep your center alive. Potentially. Yeah. It depends on the situation, obviously, but that, that that's an important thing. First strike damage happens, then there's a pause, which is called when you pass priority, and then there's normal sort of combat damage. So you can, yeah. you can do stuff in between. Yeah, I think the card you're thinking of is the um, white two drop one one. The precinct captain's only got first strike. No, sorry. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying first strike, I totally mean double strike. Yeah, the, yeah. um, Fencing what's Fencing Ace. Fencing Ace, that's him. Yeah, yeah. sorry, um, yeah, I'm confused. Yeah. Sorry, I, I totally mean double strike. Um, yeah, totally makes sense, man. It's cool. So yeah, <laughs> so damage happens, and then if things, things are dead, then they just disappear, and then you get this end of combat step, which is like the beginning of combat step, you can cast instance and activated abilities. Now, there's a good question why you're doing something this late. But there are occasionally places where you want to do something after damage has happened. For example, you could do your avenging arrow now. Because damage has happened, there's no first strike damage to like take an abuse of. You can just avenging arrow at the end of combat. Yeah, I, th- I think the key thing here is that you can play your instant spells that say destroy target, attacker or blocker. Yeah. Because at this point of the game, there's still an attacker or a blocker. But you may want to see how combat works out before you play your cards. You know, you yeah. may want to 
just let combat work its way out, see how the trades have, worked, have ended up, and then kill the creature which benefits you most. For whatever reason, there might be a situation where it happens, you know? I mean, one situation where it could happen is, you know, the blockers are declared, and they then go, I'm going to regenerate this guy. So they spent their mana, which they could have used to counter the spell you can cast. Yeah. And that's where you could do it. So, you know, they go, oh, regenerate my guy, and then damage happens, and the regeneration shield falls off because he's been kept alive, and then you go, well, you know, he still did damage, so Avenging Arrow. Yeah, but I mean, you can still you can play Avenging Arrow in, the, in your end step, if you wanted. This is and, true. I mean, I'll yeah. say, it's very unusual to play at the end of combat, but you can. Yeah. It's just an important thing to realize that you, you, there is an opportunity here. Anyways, that's all the combat phase done. Beginning combat, attackers, blockers, combat damage, end of combat. You're now in your second main phase, which I've already went over, so I'm not going to do it again. Um, and then after that, you have your ending phase. Your, your turn doesn't just stop. It doesn't just go, and now you can go draw a card, which again is the third thing they should do. But anyways, there's an ending phase. So then there's, there's an end step. So if anything says at the beginning of your end step, do blah 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 then that, this is when you do the blah 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 effectively. Um Again, I can't think of any cards which does that, but I'm sure there are uh, those. There's a lot of things that say, like, until the beginning of your next end step, this happens. And it will be like when an effect ends. Actually, that doesn't happen at the end step. Does it not? Do no. it happen at the end of the end step? Um, or does it, it happen was, it was something like, you know, your creatures get lifelink till end of turn. Yeah. Well, this is the end step, this is not the end of the turn. Uh, but there, there are cards which activate at the, the end step. I mean, Sorry, I'm th- there are, but... Um, like, uh, what am I thinking? Like, if you go back to Scar's block, you're looking at... Uh, uh, what's the card called? Mimic Fat. Would, you could make a creature and it would stay in play until the beginning of the next end step. Okay. So what you could do is, during your opponent's end step, at the beginning of their end step, you could tap Mimic Fat to make a creature, which was a copy of something that died, but it would stay in play all the way through until the next end step, which yep. was effectively your next end step, where you could actually tap your mimic that for a second creature in the turn. Okay. So you'd have two creatures off the one card, but all because of this whole beginning of end step thing. Yeah, the beginning of the end step sort of happens, and anything you do after that, then you just need to wait till the end, next end step. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, there's the end step, and then after that, there's the cleanup step. And this is where, well, first thing, if you've got more than seven cards in your hand, you need to discard down to seven cards. Then damage disappears from creatures, and then all the, until end of turn, or this turn effects disappear. So it's actually the cleanup step rather than the end step if it just says till end of turn. Yeah. But, I mean, this, this is very subtle. But there is a get, right, I should move on to what priority is. So, as you learn magic, you just sort of do things, you know, you, you, I, I draw a card, and I play my land, and I play my creature, and it's your go, and you draw your card, and you play your land, and you play your creature. To be honest, you're skipping a whole bunch of the rules. For one thing, you're, you're not doing untap, upkeep, draw step, first main phase, combat phase, second main phase, end step, clean up step. You're not doing that, are you? You're just going, draw step, first main phase, end. But all the way in between all this, there's tons of what we call priority. So a player can hold priority in a lot of places. And when you hold priority, this allows you to do a lot of things. So if it's during a, your main phase, and this, this is when you can cast your sorceries, your instants, your creatures, your artifacts, your enchantments, your planeswalkers, and activate your abilities. If you don't have priority, you can't do anything. So, yeah. take, so take, for instance, it's 
There's my main phase, and you want to kill one of my creatures. Well, you just can't. Not right okay. now. Like, I have priority at the moment. But I want to. You want to kill one of my creatures? Yeah, I want to. I really well, want to. I don't like okay. It. So, I say um, I want to go to combat. I well, pass priority to you first, haven't I? Yes, you have. Because, uh, basically, if I want to go into the combat phase, I go, I wish to end my first main phase. That is me saying I pass priority to you. Because at, at the at every single step of priority is you get a go, they get a go, then you move on. So I say I'm done. You want to move on? Yeah. Another another time you kind of mentioned it earlier when you're talking about uh, unleash, was you cast your guy and you look at your opponent and say, does it resolve? Mm-hmm. And that's another way of saying I pass priority. But people say it and don't even realise that's what they're doing, I suppose. Yeah, basically, any time you do something, you you there you basically go, I want to do this thing, and you say, but do you want to do anything in response? Yeah, I mean, the I, problem, I'm passing priority to you, basically. The problem comes when your opponent kind of jumps the gun, and you're like, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific situation, but you could be like, right, okay, I'm going to cast Grizzly Bear, and he goes counter that, and you're like, well, oh, I've not passed priority. I I, I want to cast something else. As well, you know, at the same time, they might be relevant. I'm trying to think what could be relevant. I mean, if we go back to an old keyword, which is well back in the past. So something called split second. And split second says you cannot put any more spells onto the stack until this spell has resolved. Mm -hmm. Is basically what it says. So if you say, I cast a bear, you go counter with split second, then I can't do anything until the counter happens, effectively. But there's another thing about priority. You don't have to pass priority. You can sure... Do thing you can do a lot of things and then say pass priority. So I can go. I want to play my bear, and I will hold priority. And I want to play a second bear, and I will hold priority. I want to play a third bear. Yeah. But but you can't just say and then they resolve because I'm just holding priority. It's just a I'm putting this on the stack, this on the stack, and this on the stack, and then you go. What would you yeah. like to react to any three parts? And there is also a priority pass when you go right. My first bear is on the battlefield. Would you like to do anything? And then my second bear was on the battlefield. Would you like to do anything? Like, any time you want to do something, you're passing priority first. So they always have a chance to react, even if you are saying, you know, I'm doing this, 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 and then it's your go, you know. Yeah, and of course you've got the priority pass on the other side of the table where you go, all right, I'm passing, I'm playing my bear, and then he says, okay, I'm casting Essence Shatter, and then he's got a priority, you, you have to get priority passed back to you so that you can react to Essence Shatter, you know. That's pretty much yeah. it. Now, uh, th- there are places where this, who, who goes first becomes important. Like, um, in combat, when you're declaring attackers and declaring blockers, there's combat tricks, obviously. And you need to know when your, your last opportunity to do a combat trick occurs. Yeah. Um, like, I can't, I'm trying, again, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but, um. The, uh, an important one that I kind of only noticed on Magic Online was when you create a creature at instant speed, whether it's a token or a flash creature, it has to be in play before the declare blocker step, surprisingly. Yes. You know, so if uh, he dec- or should I say, it has, yeah, so he declares an attack and, I mean, it sounds really obvious saying it now, but on Magic Online, I can remember sitting and going, why can't I make my creature? Why can't I, I, I'm, I'm, I want to make my creature and block that guy, but I'd already passed the stage. 
You know, it's like it happens in real games, but because it's kind of just the way the game flows, and you're naturally just going, yep, this, 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 and this, it never gets picked up on that maybe you actually missed your opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, let's say you're not so experienced, and the opponent are facing you as maybe a bit wiser on the axe. So he may go, okay, I att- like this is a clear attackers. I attack with this guy, this guy, and this guy. Can we move it to clear blockers? And you go, yeah, sure. And I want to flash in my guy, and I'm going to block here. And you're, he's like, well, no, sorry. We are now into clear blockers. You may declare your blockers, and then you may cast your card. So you go, okay, fine. I block here, I block here, I block here. And now I flash in my guy and I block here. No, no, sorry. This is the thing <laughs> with priority. So he's, he's still, he's went, I want to end declare attackers, and you went, yes. So now you're into clear blockers. Immediately you enter declare blockers, you declare all your blockers. And that is your blocks done. There is no more blocking to be done. Now, you can still do things after the blocks, but you cannot say, I flash in my creature, and now I do an additional block, because there's no point where you can do the additional block. So, I mean, this is a very, like, to be honest, I mean, this is not really going to happen too often. That's your opponent's going to try to trick you out like this. But it could happen. Yeah, I mean, this this situation I could see is where somebody goes, I attack with this guy, he says, right, I block with this guy, and then... You're, especially like with casual, so just kitchen table magic, it might happen when the guy goes, well, I shall giant growth my guy. And then they say, well, okay, I shall flash in my big guy. And that'll add, you know, to, to, to add into the blocks. It's like, no, no, no. That's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, you know that, you know, as they end, uh, as they end their main phase, you have an opportunity to act at the end of their main phase. You have an opportunity to act at the beginning of combat step before they declare attackers. They can't just say, oh, and now I declare, you can't do anything to me. You go, wait, wait, wait. You want to go into declare attackers? I want to do something at the beginning of combat step. I tap down that guy and I kill this guy. Now you can declare attackers. Yeah, it's maybe worth mentioning the things you can't react to. Like, you can't react to drawing cards. You can't react to tapping lands and yeah. things. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, tapping lands doesn't require priority or it doesn't it doesn't require a passive priority I'm not entirely sure of the wording but yeah if you tap your land you can't go ah in reaction to you tap your land I kill your guy no you still need to wait for him to do something yeah or or even even better I destroy your next land (laughs) you're just about to tap yeah that that is one good thing If, if, if you're in your first main phase they can't destroy your land until you actually do something at which point your land's probably already tapped so you've got the man in your pool so um yeah when you, also you can't react, you can't do anything at the cleanup step. So, I mean, this is a minor difference, but in the end step, you can do something after the, at the beginning of end step triggers have put on the stack. But at the cleanup step, it, the cleanup just happens and nobody can do anything. In untap, it, everything just happens, nobody can do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a few places where you can't really do anything. <laughs> um, right. Unfortunately, I'm going on, so feel free to skip to the end if you're really bored of learning how to play magic. Um, the next thing is triggers. Um, again, this is probably not a really big thing for kitchen table magic, but if you're playing in it at Friday Night Magic, then this becomes important. So triggers, um, so center healer. He's your three drop, he's a three three, and it says, when center healer enters the battlefield, you gain three life. So you go, I tap my three mana, I play center healer, and can we go into the beginning of the combat step? And you go, yep, sure. And you go, oh wait, I gain three life from this guy. You've missed your trigger, sir. Unfortunately, um, you once, you need to announce triggers in Friday Night Magic, or in fact, anywhere in Magic nowadays. So triggers, yeah, it's like, 
when abilities, um, if abilities, I can't really think of exactly how they template all of them, but be aware you need to sort of do it right there and then. If you try, it, like, say you, you miss your central healer trigger, like you say, oh, let's go to begin combat. Oh, wait, um, my central healer gives me three life. Nowadays, your opponent gets the choice of saying, yeah, sure, you can gain three life, or no, sorry, you've missed your trigger. Yeah. Um, and this sort of works on the other side of the board, too. Like, if your opponent misses a trigger, you don't have to remind them unless you want to. So say it's something bad, um, like... Um, can't even think of an example, but say there was a card that says at the beginning, like at the beginning of your turn, you take one damage, and they miss it. Then you can go, um, excuse me, you take one damage here. Yeah. Like you can point, you can point out triggers like that. If you want a trigger to happen, you can point it out. Um, but if they've missed the trigger and then they kind of ask later, then you get the choice whether it, you know the trigger happens or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all I really want to go into triggers. I mean, I probably could go deeper, but it's just important to make sure you announce your triggers when it happens. If you skip it, then your opponent gets to choose whether it happens or not. Yeah, um, I mean, with things like Friday Night Magic and that, uh, I'm not really that fussed about... Probably not. ...doing it properly. Well, properly, but it was like, I don't mind letting people take it back. Well, not so much take it back, but say, oh, like, like if they say to me, oh, I forgot to do this, can I, can I get my three lives off my centre here? I'm like, yeah, sure, you can. But you should feel bad about it, <laughs> you know. It's like I, I, I would feel bad about it, like sort of asking for take backs any sort of type. But like, I don't mind giving them in a sort of friendly, casual setting. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a problem. Some some youngster playing me, and he says, "I've sent our healer go to combat." Oh wait, no, did I? What's my lives? Yeah, your lives are meant to be three up there. Yeah, and I'll probably even point out to him, tell, but. I would feel bad doing it myself. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I miss triggers, sometimes it, it depends who I'm playing at Friday Night Magic. But sometimes I'm like, oh, um, can I get the, you know the trigger for center healer? And so and some some people will say that too. But other people, I'll be like, oh crap, I missed the trigger for center healer. And I won't yeah. sort of ask. Like it depends on who I'm playing. But sometimes I won't ask. And to be honest, most of the time you you're always welcome to ask. But if you get shot down all the time, then that's sort of the way things should be in some ways. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll make you a bit, it'll make you a tighter player. But I mean, I think Friday Night Magic's a lot about the atmosphere you're playing as well. Mm-hmm. You're wanting to encourage people to come and play, and if everybody is very strict about the rules, especially when you're players, yeah. the, you're just going to turn people off the game. Yeah. And that's not what you want. You want to be encouraging people to come to your shop and play cards with it because otherwise you're going to run out of people and the more people that come the more people that are going to be playing to the standard that like uh, you and I would prefer to be playing at and it'll just raise the standard to everybody else in the shop everybody else who's in that play group will get better and yeah it's good right I think that's me done on my topic and I apologise if I've bored you and we can move on to the conclusion you would so, never bore me Craig I if that, if that didn't bore you, then I I can try harder, but off the air. Okay, okay. I challenge you. <laughs> I, I, I'll especially be boring once I've read up all my rules for um, this Saturday, but... 
Right, I want to thank the listeners for listening. Uh, remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us via Tumblr, dalvinsdraft.tumblr.com, uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash dalvinsdraft, Gmail at at gmail.com, and finally Twitter at rabak underscores my personal Twitter account. Your hosts for this week were Craig and Steve. Hey. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is royalty-free music licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. underscores my personal Twitter account. Uh, your hosts for this week were me, Craig, and you, Steve. Yay! Steve! Yay! Do I need to re-record this again? <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh, this is all going at the end. <laughs>